Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your host. I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Jeremy. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a good one. Did a... Again, you got to, to appreciate sunny days, you have to have some rainy days. So. <laughs> Uh, so today we'll just, and I didn't think of anyone. I didn't yeah. think of anyone to do. So, um, welcome back, everyone. Uh, before we get into the episode, I just want to go ahead and uh, again briefly just talk about our website. Last week we mentioned that we launched our website. Um, just a few other updates. Um, I don't think I mentioned it in the Birdman episode, but if you go to the website, you can actually become a member uh, for free. It doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is just put in your email and make a password. Um, And what you get with that is you can actually leave comments on the episodes and give us feedback, which, I mean, I would appreciate some feedback. I mean, I've been saying this since the beginning uh, that we need feedback, but also (laughs) we would be able to... Well, Rain would be able to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you, but Rain would be able... (laughs) To talk to you, and that is super cool. I mean, I would also have the option, but I mean, we'll see. Um, uh, we also do have a Facebook that I've kind of revamped. Um, I originally was going to get rid of the Facebook page, but I revamped it to just be all about the podcast. And then, this is something I didn't tell you. Mm. I made us a Twitter. A Twitter? Um I may or may not use it, but I figured, you know what? Why not? You know, I have never used Twitter in my life. I have one. I use it once every month. I don't even know how to. I wouldn't even know how to make one. My so. my thing with Twitter is, you know, there's so many funny tweets that come out. Yeah, I feel like there's too much pressure to be funny on Twitter. You know, that's a good point. There is a great uh, Twitter profile out there called the Last Blockbuster. If you haven't. <laughs> Uh, it just sounds awesome. It's amazing. So they'll say things like, <laughs> uh, we just hit our first million. Just kidding. They just turned our lights off. <laughs> so like, they'll, they'll do things like that. They'll be like, oh, we have a customer. Oh, no. It's just divorced parents exchanging their children. <laughs> you know, things like that. So, I mean, it's uh, it's a legitimate place. That are, it is a real working blockbuster. That's awesome. Um, and, well, especially the Wendy's hilarious. Twitter. Oh, dude. They're hilarious, right? I yeah, mean, it's so, just super funny. So I just feel like there's too much pressure. But you know what? You know, with uh, the podcast Twitter, uh, we don't have to be funny. We can just post uh, updates there, just like we do on the Facebook page. But yeah. um, so last week I said I wasn't going to say the uh, URL for the website because it's we too go. long. I'm going to go ahead and say it this episode um, in case you maybe listen to this on. Apple or somewhere where you can't see the description. So it's R Wayland 11 dot Wix W I X site dot com backslash reservations. All right, guys, did you get all that? Let's do- <laughs> slow it down, replay it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we you know we'd love to hear, uh, feedback on the episodes and it has all the episodes from season one all the way to now uh and then once we get into season four Mm -hmm. which is very exciting uh season four will also be there uh ashley is our was our first and so far our only member oh nice yes um oh and i didn't tell you but i added a new area for past guests oh um, so okay, Alex cool. is on there, Felipe, George, and Ashley are on there. Very cool. um, just so people can see that it's always not just us. Right. Well, especially in the beginning, it's not just yeah. me. I'm not on there. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, just some updates. You know, if you have Facebook, just look up Reservations with Rain and Jeremy. Um, Twitter is at a slow start, but we'll go. We also have an Instagram. Oh, man, I don't have one of those either. <laughs> I started the Instagram for Space Cadet, mm-hmm. but then I revamped it again. For reservations. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, we're just all over the place. I right? know. And if you go to the website at the very bottom, you can see all three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So gotcha. But anyway, um, yeah, we hope you guys check it out. Give us a, a follow. Become a member. That'd be great. So I also just want to point out about the music for this episode. Yes. Uh, sorry about that, guys. Uh, it's, well, like you would even know, uh, but it's not from the movie. We had such a hard time finding the music from this film. Yeah. Um, and it is also because the film doesn't really have a soundtrack. No. I mean, there's like one or two songs in there, right? And mm-hmm. I'm sure they were written for the movie. So, I mean, it's, you know, hard to find, right? So, yeah. um, sorry about that. Instead, you get Fleur or whatever we picked. And, ah, <laughs> and that's sorry. it. 
So it's fine. It's a good sign. Um, so yeah, so as I think Jeremy mentioned last week, this movie is it's very interesting. Um, I do like your your word to describe it as unique. It is there. There is nothing in the world like it except for Roy Anderson's commercials. So, oh, okay. Right. So first off, this week is Songs from the Second Floor, uh, Roy Anderson's uh, second film after a thirty year break. Uh, really? After he did a Swedish Love Story in nineteen seventy. Uh, once he did. Uh, a Swedish love story. He went on to do commercials for 25 years. And Ingmar Bergman, who you may know as the director of Persona and The Seventh Seal and, you know, all these amazing Swedish masterpieces, mm-hmm. um, he calls them the greatest commercials in the world. Right? Really? And they are done in this style. Okay. So if you really liked this movie, if you were able to find this movie and watch it, I think you could find it illegally on the web yeah, <laughs> somewhere. Probably. Um, I would highly recommend just so you can enjoy this episode, um, but also just so you can experience this movie. Right? Yeah. You know, so, so like I said, I do like you describing it as unique. Um, I also found it very strange. Mm-hmm. In a good way. I mean, I, I did enjoy the movie. I didn't leave it like... Uh, oh, that's cool. With... Um, I'm trying to think of one of the movies where I was just like, what? I was really worried. I was... Um, I, like, yeah. It was mainly just because I was like, what is happening? Yeah. So at first, you know, there there's sort of these non-connecting vignettes yeah. until characters pop up in more, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first few are just like, I don't understand what's going on. And yeah. then later, it's like, okay. So it's not really a linear story, but it kind of is. And we're following certain people, kind of, right? Yeah. We see familiar faces as we keep going. But then once we hit a certain point, it just goes all out nuts, right? Oh, yeah. So at first, it's just kind of weird, sort of like an absurd version of reality, right? This mm-hmm. is what it's like to be a human being, whatever, right? But then once we progressively get further into the movie, it just gets way weird. Yeah. And way more surreal. And yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And the only real question I have mm-hmm. is why is everyone's faces painted That's a great white? Question. So um, I read Roger Ebert's uh, review. He loved the movie. He gave it a four out of four. Of course he did. And um, he just, I mean, he was such a big fan of this movie that uh, no one really liked it at the Cannes Film Festival in 2000. And so he later on showed it at the Overlooked Film Festival um, to get more people to see the movie, right? Because he was a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. And he, he says that the film ironically opens on a character in a tanning booth, right? Yeah. Um, which is exactly right. That's super weird because nobody is tan. It's the exact opposite. Everyone looks like a walking corpse, mm-hmm. right? And you know what? I don't know. Um, honestly, that it could be a commentary on, you know, we're all on the march towards death or... It's hard to differentiate the living and the dead because later on we do get glimpses of the dead following this guy around, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we – maybe it's sort of a – we you're not meant to see the difference, right? Okay. But I could be wrong. Yeah. And that's fine too, right? Yeah. Because this movie has so much. So we may later on in a couple of seasons have to do this movie again because it's so much, right? Yeah. And, you know – we would need to see it a few more times to be able to even understand half yeah, this stuff, right? Yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of very powerful imagery. Yeah. But then it's also very undercut with, like, comedy. Yes, it is very dark in its comedy, which is, of course, meant to be there, right? I mean, it's yeah. not like, right? Um, I wrote down that everything on the screen is deliberate, right? Yeah. And this goes double for for Roy Anderson because of the way he builds his sets. So in this one, sort of, but definitely in the other two movies uh, in the trilogy, uh, what he does is he just builds a, builds half a set <laughs> mm-hmm. and puts the camera to where you can't tell it's half a set unless you were to move it an inch to the left or to the right, right? Right. 
And so in this one, of course, there's some stuff outside, which later on he will mimic, right? Like everything will be on a stage later in his career, but made to look outside, right? Okay. So he gets very creative and very clever with everything because he needs total control, right? Right. Of everything. So he needs to be able to know if it's windy outside. He needs to be, I mean, like that stuff matters. Right. Especially with his style. And it's just, this movie's so great. And not only is it great, but it is the weirdest movie I've ever seen. So. Which I love. Could we even attempt to do a synopsis? Well, the synopsis really is, is just 50 vignettes. And as my mom says, vinaigrettes. And <laughs> 50 vinaigrettes. Um, where the camera only moves once. It's at the train station. It uh, moves backward. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody's walking towards it. Right, and that's where we get the first glimpse of this ghost or whatever you want to call him following the businessman around. We'll call him the businessman because I don't remember his name. Yeah, Um, I don't remember his name either. And it really is a commentary on what it is to be human. It's a commentary on what were to happen if for some reason... Life were to just, or businesses were to just stop, right? It's a, it's a commentary. Oh, it's Rain's wife. Hi, Ashley. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Not my. She's digging through stuff right now. Oh shit! Where's my? Oh. Oh, she swore. I guess we're gonna have to cut that out. Can't believe she fucking swore. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> all right, where we went? Uh, where business would just stop. Where business would just stop, and the reason why I even bring that up is because in the film, businesses, this business does stop, and what they do is they sacrifice a young girl to get it to. And to to regain control of this business and to you know get it to work again, yeah. which is absurd in and in and of itself, it's absurd. But I love the way he builds up to that. So yeah, this is one of the first breaks in the quote narrative, which there isn't one, right? Yeah. But we we quit following these, I don't know, five or six people around, mm-hmm. and. We're we we're on this you know this vignette of these rocks and all these people and they drop a dummy from the cliff that we can't see obviously because the camera doesn't move but but when it, we see the dummy we're like oh there must be oh they're they're dropping something from I presume a cliff right and it's because they're testing <laughs> making sure whomever they throw off that cliff is going to die for real right. Jesus and then we later, and then we cut to them interviewing the little girl, um, and we don't really understand what's going on. I think we recognize maybe one of the businessmen in the room. Um, I think he was in one of the other vignettes. Yeah, uh, with the crystal ball. I think he mm-hmm. was uh, in that uh, conference room one, and they're interviewing the little girl, <laughs> and then it turns out, oh, they're going to sacrifice the little girl because. There's these clergymen, there's these businessmen, there's uh, members of the armed forces. Right. And And they have the girl blindfolded. Oh, man. It's the craziest thing. And it's also very haunting. Yes. You know, because they they walk the little girl up to the the plank that they built. Yeah. Stand her on the edge. And I'm sure this little girl knows, like, I know where I'm at. Yeah. And they need her to fall. And so they have one of the ladies come up and just... Push her. Push her, yeah. And I didn't think she was going to push her. I'm like, maybe she's just going to talk to her. But then just a little... Just... And then all you hear... And it, it, like I said, it is haunting, but it's also kind of great sound editing. Mm-hmm. You hear a brief scream. Yeah. And then nothing. And then right. it's just this very silent shot. Right. And it's it's just nuts. And then, of course, the after after Aftermath, yeah. The of after-party. them all at the bar... Because it didn't work. Or it, it seems like it didn't work, right? Yeah. And they tried everything. This is the last straw, you know? And it's sort of like the surrealism of what companies will do 
to save themselves mm-hmm. at the expense of other people. Yeah. And that's just one interpretation. There's probably a thousand interpretations of that. Well, and you know, now, you know, when you're talking about that, it makes me think of the businessman, mm-hmm. you know, who burns down his own yes. business. Because I guess it was failing. It didn't yeah, really... I, or something, right? Yeah. And so, and this is one of the people. This is the family that we are following. Mm-hmm. Some of the time, not even all the time. Yeah. Um, where this man burns down his business, and at first, you know, uh, I thought that it was a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. His business burned to the ground, but not literally, right? But since it's surrealism, they're going to play it as literally. Right, but it turns out he just burned down his business, and he's yeah. covered in soot, and he's got a, <laughs> a grocery bag full of burnt papers that, when he pats, gets all the soot all over the bar. Yeah, oh, I, I thought that was so funny. I, it's one of my favorite bits because he's at the bar. She gives him like an, this nice pint of beer, and he's talking to one of the drunk guys, and then yeah, he pats it, hits the bartender in the face with the soot, <laughs> and she's just like, oh. Right, but doesn't, I mean, doesn't really respond to it. Yeah. Right? And and so, it turns out he's going to be an important character, right? Mm-hmm. He, and I believe it's his son at the bar, maybe. I think the so. The one that later on drives the cab. Yeah, because there's a lot of, yeah, and there's a lot of um, time skips too. Yeah, you know where we'll be forward in time, but then we're kind of go back a little bit. Yes, to fill the gap. Right. You know, which took me a minute to figure out. It's hard, and it might not just be hard because it's in a different language, which is also sort of a a barrier to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's just the style and the narrative structure. Quote narrative structure. There isn't one, and then, you know. Yeah. The, 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 the linear timeline isn't really linear and you know it's just so strange right yeah and so I guess the reason why we're just going straight into the analysis is just because it's so difficult to yeah. do and if you look at the if you, if you even look at the Wikipedia page yeah it's less than a paragraph yeah because it's like I, I can't write a book you know because that's what it would take. Yeah, because right? I, during I think the middle part of the movie, I was like, okay, I I need to understand what's happening. So right. I went to the Wikipedia page. Nice try. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I went ahead and read it, and I was like, well, that didn't help. Guess we got to figure it out. Yep. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't know what's happening. It didn't take me till the end of the movie mm-hmm. to figure out that the businessman. Had ghosts following him. Yeah, so because I was like, I'm like, why is the the hanged kid still have the noose around his neck? Yeah, I'm like, wouldn't he have taken that shit off by now? No, because he can't. Yeah, right? it wasn't until I saw the little girl. Oh, I see. I was like, they're ghosts. One of my favorite shots in the whole movie is him at the at the dump mm-hmm. because they they've been there the entire time. They're just so far away and they're walking towards him. That it takes you a while to realize they're there in the first place. Yeah, and another it's just great so use well of choreographed. Yeah, yeah, another great use of single single shot. Right, exactly. Because you know, since the camera doesn't move, we are just having to be completely aware of what is on the screen and why we're just being shown this bit, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also one of my <laughs> one of my favorite surprise bits. Is oh yeah when he starts yelling at those ghosts and he throws the can. Th- there's about two hundred of them that get That's, up off the ground, right? Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Now, <laughs> and I was like, oh shit! It's so well choreographed that that scene alone, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess we should say that every single vignette is one shot, right? One yes. take. Uh, they're about three to five minutes long each, and. They connect, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that sort of. It's just, it's it's so hard to to explain the movie. Yeah. Because it, it's it's not a movie that can be very well explained, right? I mean, no. Roger Ebert does a really good job. At trying to? And he might even be right. I have no idea. Right? But um, good news is Roy Anderson is still alive and still making movies. So, uh, <laughs> please... <laughs> 
tweet him or something. I don't know if he has a Twitter. Um, Write him a letter. Yeah. Uh, maybe we will. I don't know. Um, because I'm such a big fan of him in this trilogy that, you know, I mean, it's just... <sighs> this movie's great. <laughs> I mean, I, I did enjoy it. Like, That's good. There, there were things I was just like, That's a little strange. Yeah. Like, some of the... I mean... I'm going to use the term overtly. I'm sure he wasn't trying to do it overtly, but like the overtly sexualized yes. thing. You know, yep. when we get the guy who's been fired, you mm-hmm. know, his wife clearly wants him to stay home to, yes. you know, do some, some hanky yeah, panky. Yeah, she is. When she walks into frame, I was like, whoa. Yeah, whoa is right. Uh, and it, I think to, to double down on it, no one's really attractive. <laughs> yeah. Right? Except for um, Suzanne. Suzanne! Yeah. When when he is screaming at Suzanne. Oh, the, the homeless man? Yes. Suzanne! <laughs> one of my... That's one of my favorite little connections is that we immediately go to Suzanne, who's already sleeping with some other guy. Yeah, which I wasn't expecting. I and, thought she might have been, like, asleep, but we cut to her room, and she's on top of a dude, and I'm like, whoa! And it's... Very awkward sex. Yeah. But I appreciate that it's not over the top. No. And I mean, it's kind of hard to with that style, right? Well, and I feel like it's very... I feel like over the top sex is very... Something in American filmmaking, I've Mm -hmm. noticed, Mm -hmm. is to do over the top sex scenes. Yeah. That are very choreographed and... Right. You know. But this was a very... I would assume what other people have experienced in their sex lives. And I, I just I just love that he's just like, how does that guy know you? <laughs> no. And she's like, I don't know. I and don't he looks like, like Vladimir Lenin, too. It's just so funny because <laughs> I wasn't expecting those the next one to be directly connected to that one, right? Yeah. Because at that point, they're, they're sort of non-sequiturs, yeah. right? And so when we jump straight to that one uh, in real time, and he, as he's still screaming at Suzanne... So he doesn't know, by the way. It's yeah. just that one guy who knows. Suzanne. Yeah, and who is that one guy? Do we ever see him again, or is that is that the businessman's son? Oh, I think it might have been the businessman's son. Um, I guess before he meets his new girlfriend. Right. Um, again, it's sort of hard to keep track, especially because they all resemble each other with that makeup, mm-hmm. right? And so, but yeah, you know, he's yeah. leaving the bar and he's talking to the homeless man, like, "Yeah, I used to live up there. Well, why don't you anymore?" Uh, she doesn't want me there anymore. Well, what's your name? Suzanne. Suzanne! <laughs> Why are you so mean? <laughs> yeah, then... Yeah, I that... I was not expecting that at yeah. all. I mean... But... Again, as you... You know, as you've been... Uh, can't talk. As you've been saying, it does add to the kind of the surrealism... Yes. ...of the film. Yeah. Is that we cut to Suzanne... Shari sleeping with another guy. Yeah. It's very awkward. Yeah, and it's and it's just so funny that she's in earshot. <laughs> like she's able oh, yeah, to hear. And her window is probably like two inches cracked. Yeah. Just enough Just for, enough to hear him. Yeah. <laughs> and I really do love the the way he shoots things where there's windows, right? Because mm-hmm. it's obviously not outside, right? And it's just... It, it adds to the surrealism, right? No. Because it's... I mean, he's not shooting in a real apartment building. He's obviously shooting on a set, and he's just made it look like this, but whatever. Yeah. And you guys know how movies work. But I just I just love the way he does that, and he only shoots outside a couple of times. Yeah. I, I do want to kin, kin, kind of continue with the surrealism. Sure, yeah. Because one of the things that really struck out to me was the um, the business people wandering through the street. Yes, uh, okay. Flagellating I'm themselves. I'm really glad you brought that up, because that is the only problem I have with the movie, is that they explained it. Right. Oh. They explained it as a sort of, um, it's like a, what do you call it, a demonstration or mm. a protest, right? Yeah. Um, and I really wish they just ignored it, right? Just like let it happen while, yeah, the, just, while the rest of the scene is happening. Because it happens a few times. Like we see it outside when we're at the... Businessman's burned down. But that's the first, I think it's the right. first time we see it. And then we see it in the cab. Mm-hmm. Right? When, in the background. Yeah, when the son's trying to get the general to the hospital. Right. And we just see it kind of go... Yeah. <laughs> and it's just... It's it's a funny callback, right? Yeah. That no matter what, that, that shit's still going on. 
Yeah, and they're doing it, and they explained it because they're doing it in hopes that the businesses will start back up again, right? Right. Apparently, they didn't know about the little girl thing. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, they already had a plan going, obviously. Yeah. And um, it, is, did I use the right term, flagellating? It, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're... You could just say whipping, I guess, because yeah. they, they also whip the person in front of them, too. So they hit themselves in the back, and then they hit the, <laughs> the person in front of them. Because the only time I've ever seen that is the Da Vinci Code. I was just about to say the Da Vinci when Code, yeah. Paul Bettany does that. He's got the cat and nine tails, yeah. <sighs> I know. And then he then he moves the, the braid. Oh, I know. We're not, we're not talking about the That's Da Vinci wicked. Code. Even though Ron Howard did such a good job with that movie. Yeah, good job, Ron Howard. We're all proud of you. Love you, Ron. Um, anyway. <laughs> but yes, the, the surrealism of it is what I love most about it. Right? right. Obviously. I mean, obviously I love the overall style because it's so unique. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I think now I can say for certain I've never seen a movie like this. Yeah. You know, you know, and I used to think the most unique films I've seen were Wes Anderson films because of how they were stylized mm-hmm. and... I would definitely say Roy Anderson. I would. I hate to admit it, but does beat out Wes Anderson in yep. forms of uniqueness. They are not related, by the way. Huh? They're, oh, Roy Wes Anderson and Roy Anderson. Yeah, they're not related. <laughs> um, well, Roy's name is like A N D E R S S O N. Yeah, yeah. There's two S's. And Wes just has a little one S. Right. But, um, but yeah, but you know, yeah, I've never seen a film like it. Right. Um, I don't think I will ever see a film like it. I mean, unless I make you do the other two. Yeah, but, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I would recommend, first off, the, the, the other films are slicker looking, right? Not as rough. like Right, because, you know, this one was filmed in the mid to late 90s because, you know, it took him four years yeah, to make this movie. I, I right? read that, that it took him four years to make it. Um, which is why the 30-year hiatus is really just a 25-year hiatus doing commercials because then he started doing this movie and it just took forever, right? Yeah. And you can see why it took forever, right? Because it would take just so long just to build the sets, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, just to even find, you know money to, I mean how do you pitch this movie right now because it's based the the concept is based on a poem right in the yeah the poetry in it um, blessed be the ones who sit <laughs> um, it's yeah I mean you could say that yeah because um, I feel like I read somewhere that and th- he calls this the living trilogy right um, okay. it's just the absurdity of being human right mm-hmm. Um and the the added surrealism plays to that. Yeah. But and that's how he films all three, right? Is okay. everyone is caked in white makeup and it's shot with that single camera static, just you know, whatever. Um the other two, of course, are you the living and a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. It's sort of a mouthful. Now, were those also uh, like this one, where you can only find the region B, or yes, really? Mm-hmm. It, I, I'm assuming it has something to do with probably Sweden's distribution or it's laws. Just, you know, it's not no, because you know you can find Ingmar Bergman stuff and things oh, like that. Okay. You know, he's got all of his stuff on the Criterion Collection, and you know he's shout out Criterion Collection. Yeah, shout out Criterion Collection. Ingmar Bergman is like the. What would be the... I don't know. He's like the Steven Spielberg. Of, <laughs> okay. Well, that's not true. <laughs> uh, because Steven Spielberg is contemporary and Ingmar Bergman is not contemporary. Well, and, and even Steven Spielberg, you know... He's just like the man. He is so. The so he's the go-to. Fighter. Yeah, he's what, like your Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, your, uh, I was just about to say, like, is he the Martin Scorsese of Sweden? Yeah, he's like the Hitchcock Scorsese. He's like the go-to. Like, if you want a really good thought-provoking, unique movie in yeah. Sweden, Ingmar Bergman. Gotcha. Right? So, but, of course, you know, yeah. now it's, you know, Roy Anderson. Uh, <laughs> to me, anyway, because he's amazing. But I think it's just because of the lack of notoriety, maybe. Maybe. Or it's just that no one here gives a shit. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I it's know... It's a hard movie to sell, right? I know, well, yeah, and I know in, in American filmmaking, foreign films are very hard 
to, to get over here. Right, and they're um, all in Sweden, so Swedish yeah. or whatever. So, um, I mean, unless you know they win Best Picture at the Oscars, right? <laughs> which shout out Parasite, which uh, Roy Anderson's probably won't. Yeah, uh, which is a shame. Yeah, because I definitely could see this winning. And it, it did. It did at the Cannes Film Festival. It won a uh, the jury selection, and um, I think the Palme d'Or. I could definitely if 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 this movie had been ever nominated for an Academy Award, definitely production design. Right. I mean, because I remember when I started the film, I remember you saying that it, it is a set and that the camera is yeah. right there in the set. Um, but watching, I was like, none of this looks like a set. I know. It looks gorgeous. I know. And they only get better, right? Yeah. So a lot of this, he he couldn't cheat, right? Especially at the dump or at the train station, he can't cheat. Yeah, so he had to shoot there. Right. But, you know, at later on in his other two, it's amazing that he did cheat, right? Yeah. Uh, there is a, a YouTube video that we'll find a way to plant somewhere um, of just behind the scenes of you, the living. And all it is is the set and the camera just pulls back so you can see what what's actually there right so oh, okay. you can see like the forced perspective stuff with the miniatures that are closer to the camera to make it look like the building is bigger and mm. yeah I mean it's really cool I mean he gets really creative and using old silent film tricks like that that is really cool yeah yeah I mean so so the other thing I really really wanted to talk about was the little girl because okay. like it dude it stuck with me <laughs> Um, like, I even had to tell Ashley about it. And she's like, I don't want... No, don't tell me. She's like, if it's fucked up and involves a kid, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, like, both. I was like, but... Like, but it's so fucked up. It is really fucked up. I and wasn't wasn't expecting it. No. At all. So, okay. So, here's what I was thinking. Okay. So, we meet the old man at the hospital that mm. all the generals come to honor. Ugh, so old. He's like in a... He's in an adult crib, which I loved. I know. And... His he's so old, you know. His eyes are sunken in, which has always skeeved me in movies. Like in real life, it doesn't bother yeah. me, but in movies, I'm like, Ugh. and his hair matches his face. Yeah, um, and then you know, then we get to the the people <laughs> moving the rocks, and someone gets stuck, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> Maybe this is how the general always wanted to go out. Yeah, I, I I thought the same. I thought that these were connected things. Yeah, right? and then you know when they do the dummy, the dummy hits and the the chest bursts open. I'm like, okay, they just want to make sure that he's not going to suffer. Right. <laughs> I mean, which again, this still sounds fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it's still really that strange. they're going to no kill this a hundred year old man. Yeah, he's so. Old. But that's what I thought. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe. This is how he wanted to go out. Yeah. And then when they interviewed the little girl, I'm like, okay, wait, wait, what's happening now? What's up with the girl? Who cares? Yeah, and then as soon as we see the clergyman, I'm like, okay, the, the, it's happening. And then the little girl comes into frame. Oh, shit. And that's when I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I, yeah. It's such a cool-looking shot, too. It is. There's tons of people there. Right? Would Whether you, or not they're actually, they're actually not. there. I was just about to say, like... The did, people in the background. Did he pull a metropolis and just be like, hey, Maybe. I need this amount of people. Yeah, I need uh, 37,000 people, please. Um, maybe, you know, but... I mean, but if then it, you get to the scene where... Uh, they're at the bar? I was going to say oh, the yeah. suitcases. So oh, you get to the people dragging the suitcases on the dollies, right? And that was a cool shot just because there's no way that's that set is that big, right? Yeah. So I don't know how he did that. That was super cool looking. You know, and I do have a question about that scene. What is the significance of it? So it does bring back uh, two characters from before. It's the guy who fired the other guy in the beginning. I just know his name. I That's the only Pele? name I remember. Pele. Yeah, Pele. And his um, ginger-haired lover. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm really glad he got another golf club because it's broke. <laughs> yeah. And I just love everyone has the exact same number of luggage. Everyone has the exact same type of luggage where the golf clubs are on the top. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and everyone <laughs> eventually... Drops the golf clubs. Drops the golf clubs, right? And you're just like, when is it going to happen to our guys? You know? And, and I honestly, yeah, because as soon as it happened with the first couple, I'm like, like, all right, when is it going to happen? And it, it didn't for a while. I'm like, oh, okay. 
And then sure enough. Uh, there it goes. <laughs> right. And I think it had to do with, you know, the the absolute fall of the businesses and mm-hmm. their jumping ship, right? Oh, so they're trying to get the fuck out. Right. And I think that had a lot to do with it. And I also had some questions that I don't know if we'll be able to answer. Um, because our our main businessman who burned his place down, mm-hmm. uh, he goes to a convention trying to find a new business venture. And he runs across his buddy who's selling crucifixes, right? In all different sizes. Three different sizes. You can get a crucifix. And the movie is not anti anything so it's not anti-religion it's not anti-business it's not it it's not anti-anything so I, I i don't see it as a knock on religion no it's just a it's just a striking image and it's such a recognizable I, image to use as this sort of um business venture right well Crucifix. i mean i'm sure there's crucifix salesmen out there yeah there has to be how yeah. else do people get them right yeah. But it, it's just so funny at the end during that dump scene where he's just throwing them in the dump. He's just so angry because it didn't work. Yeah. You know? Why did I think anyone would buy a, <laughs> oh, a crucified loser? I was like, oof, oof. Right. And that's where you kind of get the feeling like, is Rory Anderson hating on religion? He's not. That's not, that's not his yeah, intention it, at it, all. I, I, think it's, I think it's just... You know, this guy thought it would be a good idea. Right. People need those crucifixes. Right. And he's like, and in these times, everyone's going to need to turn to this guy. Right. And and then at the end, when it doesn't happen, yeah. Doesn't work. What I love about the businessman, after he watches, uh, I do remember his friend's name. I think it's Ufe. Yeah. Um, drives off and he runs over some of them. Yeah. <laughs> he just like kind of solemnly like walks to the back seat of his car and takes the ones he has and, just and he like, had some right because he had bought some uh, the movie does take two sharp turns one is at the train station obviously because that's where yeah. we get our ghosts mm-hmm. um, or whatever they are um, I really loved because it's so striking is our flashback to the hanging oh yeah because of the woman, right? The woman who's already his sister, who's already hanging, um, does not look like a person, right? But I think that that adds a little bit to it because it's obviously a fake person. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a dummy. But it made it so much creepier because it looked real enough. It's that uncanny valley. It looked real mm-hmm. enough, right? Yeah, where you can you can tell you can see the seam on her jawline. Yeah, where it's obviously like. A, a head put on a neck. Right. But at the same time, her face is so bloated. Yeah, and it was like, whoa, that looks creepy, You could man. definitely foresee that she's been dead a while. And I assume that he's speaking proper Russian, so, I mean, we would... If we spoke Russian, we would understand what he was saying. Well, and that's something I, I appreciated, is that they had no subtitles for it. No, because if our businessman doesn't understand him, we're, we can't either. Right. right. Well, I love how he's trying to explain to him, I can't help you. I cannot help Which I also loved the attention to detail that other people don't pay attention to the ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. So when he's at that restaurant or whatever, he only gets the coffee and she doesn't make eye contact with the, the Russian boy, right? Again, never noticed anything. Never That never crossed my mind yeah. until the very end. Right. And then when it was like, oh... Okay, which I just loved. I, I think that, um, obviously, you know, I mean, I've seen the movie before, but um, I got it as soon as he said, I heard you committed suicide. And he goes, I did, look. <laughs> you know, and his, his wrists are cut. Uh, I must have, yeah. I had to have looked down, looked down for yeah. just a second because I missed that. Yeah, so he, he... I think if I would have saw that, I'd have been like, oh, they're dead. Yeah, because his friend is following him, right? And we're just like, does he know this guy? And when, at the train station, he's just like, uh, hey, man, it's been a while. He goes, yeah. He goes, I heard you committed suicide. He goes, I did, look. <laughs> you know? And he showed his wrister cut. And he goes, oh, okay. You know? And it's sort of that that sort of deadpan affect that they have that yeah. makes it funny. Yeah. Because he's not freaking out about any of this. He's just like, oh. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, and I'd like to point out that the businessman... I'll be honest, I was getting kind of tired of his whole, oh, woe is me, mm-hmm. my business burned down, my son wrote poetry until he went nuts, <laughs> now he's gone mad. Yeah. I was getting kind of tired of it. Yeah. Like, the first time he did it, you know, I think 
is when he's talking to the insurance people. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, he's doing it to be like, hey, I'm I didn't do it. Yeah, leave oh, me alone. Look, it's arson. Oh no. Oh no, my son. Oh, my no. son's crazy. But this is he, my other son. Yeah, but then you know he tells the uh, the priest at the church, mm-hmm. and then he tells. Ufe when he's yeah, talking he, to him. Yeah, it does the, get a little... And I'm like, much. okay. Yeah. And then, you know, then when we actually see him with his son that's in the Saint Asylum, he's very hostile. Yes, very mean. Towards him. Yeah. And it's just because, you know, I kind of get it why he's so hostile. It's because he just wants to talk to his son. Right. But we don't know what's wrong with Thomas. We never do. We never get to know. No. Um, and I, and I kind of appreciate that, that we'll never know right. what happened. Right. We or never like, know. We don't really get closure with him, which is fine. Yeah. But I, I did really also like the, the comedic, uh, religious conversation that the other crazy people are having. I mean, he was like, you know, he was just a normal person. That's why he was crucified. Because he was a kind person. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> they're, he's just agreeing with him. He goes, uh-huh. He goes, mm-hmm, that's what happened. Oh, and I think that's the guy who was impersonating the doctor. Yes, which made me laugh out loud. That, I didn't I didn't realize that it. reveal that he's not a doctor. Well, and then like I looked down at his pants and then I looked over at Thomas's and I was like, Oh, he's not a doctor. Oh, and they were the same and then when he takes off the the uh, the real doctor shows up and goes, Give me my coat <laughs> you know, and it's, there's a wallet in here. And he finds it in his pocket. All right. There's a wallet in there. Hang on. All right. I found it. You know, it's just so funny, right? It's this combination of surrealism, humor, tragedy, right? Well, and I and I always love that when the businessman got hysterical, yeah. the orderlies would come and drag him away. <laughs> like, sir, you, you can't do that here. No, not here. No, bad place to do that. And, I, you know, what really makes this movie so great is the fact that the camera acts as an objective observer, right? Right. It's not in the narrative. It is just, it's, it is the audience. We are just getting a peek into these people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so, for now, anyway, uh, we get the sense of being an objective observer because this isn't happening to us. Right. Yet is what Roy Anderson is trying to say. Oh, okay. Right? Is that in doesn't this look terrible? Enjoy not having this while it lasts, right? No. Um, because who knows? You know, and I do want to talk about the ending. Sure. Because like I said, so that's when, you know, so as we kind of mentioned, um, the businessman finds Ufe at the dump. Mm-hmm throwing all the crucifixes in a pile. And I love how he doesn't care. So he's not even looking where some of them, where he's throwing some no. of them. Um, and then, you know, he tells him, like, yeah, couldn't believe I, I can't believe I did this. I was really hoping that last, the last crucifix had to be in two parts. So he threw the Jesus first, and then I, I was hoping so bad he was going to have to carry the cross as if he were Jesus. Yeah. That's what I was hoping for. I was like, come on, bud, you got this. And he did good. It was so close. I know. He had it right here and then went, Ugh. Yeah. I was like, ah, okay. Um, but, you know, then he takes off. And then the businessman throws his crucifixes. And then he sees the ghost mm-hmm. coming. Um, and like I said, I don't know why I didn't figure it out sooner. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, there's the, the hand kid. I'm like, wow, they've been following him all this time. It never crossed my mind. Yeah. Because I think at that point, I was just like, this is the movie. These people just follow him now. Yeah, and you know, it's so easy to just, especially in a surrealist film like this, it's so easy just to accept things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. Because everything else is so nuts. Why isn't this nuts, right? Yeah. You know, and then he starts yelling at him, like, I can't take this anymore. Right. Because um, I'm assuming he, since he can't communicate with these ghosts, mm-hmm. he doesn't know what to do. Right. So he, yeah. But yeah, the it just kind of left me a little bit like because how I figured out they were ghosts is I see the little girl mm-hmm. right, and she's exactly how she was when she died in a white dress and her uh, eyes are still covered right um, and then when we get those other 200 ghosts oh again one of my best one of my favorite reveals 
so great. And they look like the business, the people that were flagellating themselves. Yeah, they do. One of them kind of resembled a Holocaust. Um, really? I think he was wearing the same pajamas. Hmm. They're not really pajamas, but um, <laughs> he was wearing the striped <laughs> clothes that the, the Jewish people wore in the camps. You know what I'm trying to say? I, I think I saw one on the far left of the screen. I want to say I saw the same thing. Yeah, right? And so it, it is, I think, a combination of all these things. And I think it's just if you were looking, you saw it, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but I think it's because, you know, the fact that they start running away, but then they turn around and come back. Well, and I noticed the little girl doesn't run away. No. Everyone she, else turns and runs, but she keeps walking towards him. Yes. And then that's what makes them kind of turn around. And it's, it's so... It's a very striking image, obviously, but yeah. it's also just like he's he's helpless, he's powerless to stop whatever it is this is, right? So it could just be a commentary on you can't you can't get rid of what you've done or whatever. I mean, it could be like you know, there's no saying the reset button, right? That right, and so it's gonna happen regardless. Yeah, because then he said, you know, he kind of gives up. He says, you know what, do what you want. God, I pretty sure he looked down the barrel like twice on yeah. that in that camera right and i thought he was going to look straight at us at the end um which would have been fine right yeah i would have liked i mean that. a lot of people do it in the film they look directly at the camera yeah um, and you know yeah i mean there's a thousand interpretations yeah right the one th- i would say the one thing that really i was just kind of like hmm didn't really care for it was the, the aftermath of the the sacrifice of the little girl okay. when they're all at the bar and the old man yes, who I know couldn't ex- find his papers I know exactly what you're going to say starts vomiting yes I was just like oh. it's gross right because and then, I could tell it was you know yes it's in his sleeve it's it, a tube right because he's it has his hand over his mouth but I was just like Ugh. it's still gross I know and then right. it's dripping off the counter he moves it with his hand right he kind of wipes it off the- and, I, and I feel bad for the lady who's having some like <laughs> fucking crisis down there because yeah. she can't get up yeah she, she can't get on the stool and he's just like we tried everything we did all we could and then she keeps saying I can't get up <laughs> and he goes we did all we could I know and then he keeps drinking but he's still just like yeah, he's still, like, dry heaving. I know. And then he's like... Which is really interesting because I, I really... And that's, a, that's sort of a trope of surrealism is repeating themselves mm-hmm. over and over again. And so the fact that these people just have these sound bites... Yeah. Is very copacetic with surrealism. Yeah, and and I also got the feeling it was kind of like a more, like... You know, yeah, we exhausted all of our options, but did we really just sacrifice a little girl? Yeah, and of course that is an over-exaggeration, right? Which is what also surrealism is, is an yeah. over-exaggeration. Um, like, <laughs> in the board meeting, they have a fortune teller sitting at the board meeting. Because at first, I, I wasn't quite sure what they were passing around, right? Uh-huh. But it was the crystal ball, right? And then when everyone gets up to look at the building that's moving... Which doesn't make any sense, but it's not supposed to, right? Yeah. <laughs> that fortune teller still was sitting there. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what she was. Which means they invited a fortune or a fortune teller is a part of these corporate business meetings. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like I saw them passing around the crystal ball, and then the one guy who's like, like, yeah, so they're, they're all just like gazing into it, right? Just yeah. Like, oh, look at this thing. Yeah, but then yeah, I saw the guy stand up, and I'm like, okay, is he gonna die? Like, so I was. I'm going to be honest. I was going through, like, so many different scenarios. I thought he was going to kill himself. I thought he was going to shoot himself, yeah. I thought, yeah, he was going to die. I thought he was just going to, like, keel over. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to, like, bang his head on the... Because at this point in the film, anything is... Could happen. Exactly. Yeah. And then he just goes, like, there's a building that's moving. And they're all like, huh? And then they freak out, right? And again, surrealism over exaggeration. They freak out. Um, but the, the the fortune teller doesn't, right? Yeah. Which is I the the reveal of the fortune teller is to say you know is sort of a commentary on businesses again doing anything they can to get ahead or whatever. Yeah. E- even if it's hiring a fortune teller with <laughs> a crystal ball, right? 
it's just so silly. No. Which I love, right? This yeah. whole movie is silly, and I love it. Yeah, it's... I didn't hate it at all. That's good. I did feel like it was just very strange. Terrified you were going to hate it. I was like, this is going to be too weird for rain. Uh, I mean... Nah. That's good. Uh, I would say I've seen weirder, but no. Because I do have a film for next season up my sleeve. Oh, Jesus. It's not weird. It'll just be... It'll be a challenge. Because this is a challenge. This one, I thought that once I decided not to cancel it. Because once... Because I had a movie in mind. Mm -hmm. I was like, I could change to The Tribe, maybe. Tribe. The Tribe. So the only reason I didn't pull the trigger on it because it's no longer on Netflix, right? Because I have a copy, obviously. I feel like I've heard about that movie. It is a Ukrainian-Russian film uh, that we are definitely going to do next season. Okay. um, That is done completely in sign language but without subtitles. Oh, shit, you are telling me about yes. this one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that is going to be a challenge in and of itself. But, you know, when I was trying to decide whether or not this one, just because it's so hard to find to watch in the first place, but I felt like it's worth doing because this podcast should be more than just m- movies you can see on the regular basis, right? Yeah. They should be movies that, you know, are hard to find and that are just con- so unique and so different. Yeah. You know, I think the the podcast has really helped me open my eyes to foreign films, you know. Yeah. You know, if I hadn't done this, I probably would have never seen Stalker. Uh, I probably would have seen Parasite, mm-hmm. regardless, right. because, you know, I think I said it in the episode, I had heard about it, but once it won Best Picture, I was right. like, I have to see this movie. Right, exactly. Um... And I don't think I ever would have seen this film, you know, no, if it was I mean, for the it, podcast. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very glad you didn't decide to cancel it. Yeah. Because um, I mean, I think any everyone should experience this film. I agree. Um, shout out to Cinefix, which is my favorite YouTube channel. Uh, they're the ones that introduced me to Roy Anderson. Yeah. And because they were doing a surrealism episode or whatever, and it wasn't this one. They mentioned songs from the second floor, but they ended up choosing a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence as the better of the his, trilogy. His films, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. And they're just like, you know what? If we're gonna pick a surrealism one, songs from the second floor started it, but let's go with pigeon, right? Right. And that one's crazy. That one has a whole um, cavalry, like a civil war, like cavalry coming <laughs> into a bar. <laughs> And it's just so strange, right? <laughs> Again, I recommend all of them. So yeah, well, um, and and kind of to something else too is I, I think the podcast has also helped me learn about what foreign films are like. Yeah, you know, because I think a lot of people, whether they be cinephiles or not, you know, have I feel like a very one-sided view of what film should be. Mm-hmm. It's because you know, you know, American. Uh, filmmaking is much different than Swedish filmmaking and German filmmaking Italian and Russian filmmaking and yeah exactly and I think I think it's good to experience foreign films I, I think it's just especially in this day and age people are like I don't want to read a movie yeah I love my dad um <laughs> Oh, and hey, he, yeah. Shout out to Mr. Whalen. And I know... He, I talked to him the other day. He said he needs to catch up. So whenever he gets to this, Dad, I want you to know I'm not saying this to call you out. I love you dearly, but, like, I really pushed him to to watch Parasite. Yeah. Because I knew he'd like it. And he was just like, I just... I don't want to read a movie. And I'm like... <laughs> My mom, who has a master's degree, doesn't want to read a movie either. Really? So it's not like... <laughs> it's not really a dick. It's just... He, some people just want to use films as escapism, which is fine. Yeah. I, I think this film is the ultimate in escapism. Oh, absolutely. Um, sometimes you just got to read to do so. My mom is still shocked that I watch foreign language films. Really? Because I don't like to read, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't like it. I, I, I really hate it, if I'm being honest. I, don't, I won't ever pick up a book for fun. Well, That's not me. But I will watch... And I, and I think now that I have, I mean, this is going to sound like a big accomplishment, but as where I was at zero, I have three foreign language films now under my belt. Yeah. I definitely want to watch more. And this has also kind of helped me with, you know, this also is a way for me to 
you know, shamelessly plug anime. Here we go. Um, but to finally be open to the idea of watching the original Japanese version of an anime, because, mm-hmm. you know, with anime, I was like, no, I'll watch the dub. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to have to read. But now I'm more open mm-hmm. to doing that. Like, I started an anime the other day called Demon Hunter. Mm-hmm. No, Demon Slayer. Sorry for all our, our Demon Slayer fans out oh there. Oh, my God. There's probably so many of them. I'm sure there are. Dude, that, that shit's fucking crazy. Is it great? But um, I watched the first episode, completely subbed. Loved it. I was mm-hmm. able to read and pay attention at the same time. Yeah. But then I wanted to test myself. I went and found the dub. Mm-hmm. And I now understand why people like sub more. Because... Sorry, everyone. We'll get back. <laughs> Uh, Japanese voice actors put so much more emotion in their voice mm-hmm. than American voice actors. I will say that after a while, you're going to feel that way about all of them because I started watching, this was a few years ago, uh, Let the Right One In. Oh, and, dude. Oh, amazing. Did uh, they, they did that on Eli Roth's History of Horror. Amazing uh, vampire story, mm-hmm. right? Uh, involving children, which is insane, right? And so well done. And so I started watching it in the in the dub because it gave me the option on the Blu-ray and I was like I this doesn't sound right and then I started listening to it in the, this regular Swedish I, th- I think it is Swedish yeah um, and I was like oh that's better <laughs> because it's it's real sound now yeah and I think the again I do promise we'll get back to it um, <laughs> I think the most annoyed I've been is the raid so watching the raid which is probably the greatest martial arts movie of all time in my personal opinion oh, dude you're gonna have some Bruce Lee people mad at you <laughs> don't care if you've seen the way you understand what I'm saying it's insane watching it dubbed they also dubbed the ooh ah ooh, ooh really ooh. and that drove me insane and I was like no thank you I'll 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 read thank you well, because then they have the original sound in there oh and this will be the last thing I say then we'll get back to the movie um watching dub anime they what they do is they try to find for the English they try to find the correct word that they that would be the English word in Japanese or whatever but they try to make it phonetically so it matches the mouth oh that's interesting so it's not so like it would be difficult so like older anime that's dubbed yeah the mouth doesn't match what's being said right but more current anime the mouth is matching the English speaker because they're doing it phonetically but trying to make it almost word for word what it would be in the Japanese. Mm, that sounds so hard. they take the Japanese phrase, translate it into English and try to match it up with... It's very hard. And that I, would also change up the, the syntax and the mm-hmm. the flow of the conversation. Uh, well, no, I don't like that. Last thing I'll say and then we'll but move on. you already on. said! Hang on. This is the final last thing. Okay. The one anime that unfortunately does not do dubbed well um, I know you'll never see it, but I know hopefully maybe one of the listeners will have seen it, is Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. Very great anime. Uh, the only anime I've ever seen subbed, because I'd only seen it subbed, and then when they finally dubbed it, I was so excited, watched the dub, and all the emotion is gone. Now, certainly... Anyway, okay, you know what? We're going to move on, because <laughs> if I keep going, you're going to be mad at me. Well, <laughs> I just don't know what you're talking about. So. Um, but... Anyway, Songs on the Second Floor. But yeah, so this definitely, um, Songs on the Second Floor, Parasite, and Stalker definitely have me more open to seeing more foreign films because I don't mind reading. Right. Because now I can, it, it takes me a little bit. Like with this one, I was having reading, and, mm-hmm. but then after a while, I was able to see the scene and read and watch at the right. same time. The good thing about this one is it's not like you're going to miss something crazy if you look well, down I to read the for a second. That's friend true. committing suicide. That's a good point. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, if you look down to read and then you look up real quick, you would at least know the camera hasn't moved, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we, we are in the same setting, so that's good. As we're like parasites, like you look down to read. And he's cut three times already. It's like, oh, come like, on, ah. man. I know. So, but I would definitely be open to watching the next two of his trilogy. Yeah, the next... Oh, they're so good. Um, okay. So... A couple things about what this sort of, you know... You know, you don't want to say influenced this movie because, mm-hmm. you know, that would be impossible. Yeah. But it sort of has... And Roger Ebert 
said this in his review as well, which I recommend reading. Um, maybe we can put a link to it on the website. Yeah, I mean, uh, we yeah, can there is a that. there's a whole page of visual aids. Perfect. We'll put the uh, a link or something. To I was the, definitely also thinking of doing the YouTube video you were talking about. Yes, as well. Yes, please. So anyone, uh, if you go on the website, there's a visual aid section. So oh, perfect. Check that out. So um, he mentioned Beckett, Samuel Beckett. Okay. Uh, who is an avant-garde surrealist playwright. Um, his most famous work is probably Waiting for Godot, which is um, has been a long-running play. Uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen did it a few years ago. And <sighs> I, I think they would switch Professor characters X. every now and then. Um, but it's just these guys that are waiting for this person whose name, when spelled out, is God with a T at the end. And, Got. Yeah. Uh, waiting for Godot, <laughs> right? And so oh. it's... You're doing great. And... Wait, it, Gal Godot? Yes, Gal Godot. They're waiting for Gal Godot. And, <laughs> and they meet certain people who are walking by the path and they... Whatever, doesn't matter. But that's right. probably the most contemporary. There is one out there called Come and Go, where it's three women, three elderly women sitting on a bench and... They they say certain things that are sort of weird and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And one will leave and they'll talk about that one. And then she'll come back and they'll switch places on the bench. And then the other one will leave and they'll switch. It's nuts. It's called Come and Go. It's like five minutes. I don't know. It's crazy. And so he does a lot of that. And so I would see that sort of as an influence as Beckett because this plays a lot like 50 stage plays. Yeah. Yeah, because... Now, as soon as you said inspiration, I was like, I don't know if anything right. could have ever inspired this movie. Right. You know, because you can definitely, I keep bringing it up, but definitely in American filmmaking, you can see subtle things mm-hmm. in different directors' movies that maybe had it been influenced from a previous director or that, that they influenced a director or something like that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't f- tell anything in this movie that may have been influenced by one or the other. Yeah, I mean, again, he says that it has the feel of these things, right? It has the mm-hmm. feel of Beckett. It has the feel of Salvador Dali. It has the feel of all these things. And I completely agree with both Dali and Beckett. Uh, he mentioned a couple Dolly's of Dolly's on your watch. Dolly is my watch today, yes. His mustache is the, the hands. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a great watch, guys. So... Um, rain. Yes. To wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Wrap up, wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Um, I know you would recommend this movie for sure because it seems yes. like yes. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I mean, like, again, when I say strange, I do mean it in a good way. Right. Um, if I meant it in a bad way, I would have said it. Right, this movie's strange. Yeah. Don't watch it. But I think it's strange because I think people should experience this movie for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it is a strange movie, but it's not a bad movie. No, and Ebert says that you may not like the movie, which is completely understandable, but you'll never forget this movie. Oh, absolutely. Right? So, unless you're Frankie Muniz, <laughs> you'll never forget this movie. Has <laughs> he got a terrible accent? Yeah, Google it. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. He doesn't remember being on Malcolm in the Middle. So, R.I.P. Uh, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's fine. Well, not fine. Well, um, you know, you'll, you'll never forget this. It's no. the, in my opinion, probably the most unique and original movie I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, and the only way you'll be able to see a movie like this is if you watch the other two. Yes. Right? Yeah. I definitely think if it's if it's part of a trilogy, you got to, even if you didn't like it, you got to watch the other two. It's really cool. And, you know, again, they're not connected narratively. They're connected in style and in tone Mm -hmm. and in, like, I guess subject matter, maybe a little bit. But really, it's just style, tone, mood. And that's what connects the three. Well, you know, it's kind of like... the overall theme, I guess. The theme of... Being human. Being human. Well, you know, it's kind of like last week, Alejandro had a trilogy. Right. You know, and those three movies don't have anything that connect them. Right. Except for style, tone, mood. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Um, okay. That, ladies and gentlemen, is my last pick of yes. the season. Ladies and gentlemen, we are 
slowly coming to a close of season three. Um, I think it's been a great season so far. I agree with that. Um, yeah, we had some slip-ups at the beginning, mainly on my end of... Uh, oh, I remember that. Hereditary. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think it's been a great season. Um, and just like we did with season one and season two, so this is Jeremy's last pick, because now we're going to lead into the um, series... Uh, the series, the yeah. season series. There we go. I was like, "What am I thinking of?" <laughs> um, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you're new listeners, <clears throat> these next four episodes are going to be a dedicated series. Season one uh, was my pick. It was all about '80s movies. Season two was Jeremy's, which was uh, stage to screen adaptations, mm-hmm. and then this season is my pick again. Um, and you know, I really enjoyed the stage to screen, and you really. Set the bar. Stage to screen was a lot of fun. It was very high. Yeah, it was more fun than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, and so I had gone back and forth and back and forth, like, what should we do? Because now I gotta I gotta take that bar and I gotta take it up even higher. Mm-hmm. So just so everyone knows some of the ideas I went through, I originally went through Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do a Lord of the Rings a thon. Episode one, two, and three will be the Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King, and then episode four would have been the wrap up, wrap up, wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Wrap up. Um, I went through, oh, man, so many ideas, but I landed on one that I talked to Jeremy about. He loves it. I'm excited to talk about it, and um, we have talked about some of these movies before. Mm-hmm. But never in full detail. No, they've never gotten their own episodes. Yes. So. Um, we briefly touched on a couple of them during the 80s month. Yeah. But now we're going to give them a full episode. So these four episodes are going to be all about the comedic genius that is Mel Brooks. It'll be a Mel Brooks series. That's yes. very exciting. A Mel Brooks-a-thon. Um, we're going to talk about four movies uh, these are the four me and Jeremy feel like are not necessarily his best, but definitely his most recognizable. Mm-hmm. So episode one uh, will be Blazing Saddles. And I'm not going to say the next three, because okay, that would well, be a surprise. Oh, okay, cool. So next week uh, we will just start the Mel Brooks-a-thon with Blazing Saddles. Yes. Uh, we. I am so excited for that. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Because I... Absolutely love Mel Brooks. And a really cool study in satire. So that'll be a lot of fun to delve into the idea of satire, how it can be presented in a funny, unique, and, you know, responsible way or a a smart way, right? There's a smart way to do satire. Especially with Blazing Saddles. And especially with Blazing Saddles. So that'll be fun. Yeah. So we hope everyone enjoyed uh, Songs from the Second Floor. Um, we hope you will enjoy next week of Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. So uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>